0: by Matthew Dawkins. Hello there. And Danielle Lozon. Hi. Whose name I always say slightly wrong, usually. It's okay. You got it right. Well, this time I did. Usually I'm slightly wrong because I have a bit of a stutter, and for some reason your name trips it every single time. And I'm like, I don't know why I can't say her freaking name. <laughs>
1: Change your name, Danielle.
0: I mean, I did legally. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> legally it's not even your name, it's just your author name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that said, today we are here to talk about horror in unexpected places, including trying to say Danielle's last name. Yeah. Um, It terrifies me every time. (laughs) Uh, But as always, we can't get to the topic right away. Uh, Before we started recording, we were talking about uh, horror in a very unexpected place for Matthew, which is weirdly flavored coffee.
1: Well, you know, I'm not a coffee drinker, Mm -hmm. so I'm probably not the best person to comment on it other than as a, I guess, uh, maybe an odor critic. I love the smell of coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are some some complementary scents that I think would go well with it. Like we were discussing a banana-flavored coffee. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mint is a natural pairing with anything, pretty much anything. With anything. anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm... Orange least...
0: juice, yeah, it's great.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing quite like uh, brushing your teeth and drinking orange exactly. juice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the best. Uh, so... But anyway... Uh... I really should drink a cup of coffee someday. I know I'm missing out on my best life. Have you
0: have you never had coffee?
1: I've never had uh, an entire cup of coffee. Huh. Uh, the first couple of times I tried it, I was too young to appreciate it. Much like when people first try drinking beer, really dislike it, but damn it, they're going to soldier on through, drink this horrible gunk and <laughs> and ruin the rest of their lives, uh, and smoking and coffee and mon- and energy drinks. These things don't have to taste good. You just have to convince yourself <laughs> that they do. And of course, by the time you get into your late 20s, your taste buds are being killed off anyway. So then you can start enjoying bitter flavors a little more. I just haven't got round to that point yet with, uh, with coffee, but I'm sure I will one day.
2: You realize coffee doesn't have to taste bitter. In fact, it's probably not good coffee if it is bitter.
1: See, I like the <sighs> idea of really bitter coffee. I like the idea of an espresso or, uh, you know, a, a really sharp caffeine shot like that.
0: We're going to get and- Matthew the most over-roasted coffee possible. I know, only-
1: <laughs> but know! But, and, and I kind of feel like looking at these sort of creamy lattes and mochas and all of that... That that's cheating that you're um you, espresso
2: you, shot black
1: exactly you, you might you might down you might as well be drinking hot chocolate yeah i mean um, that's
2: the point
1: yeah <laughs> well, at, so, at, at that point i wonder well i would look i guess at which costs more because i <laughs> not I mean, not that i'm expecting the two of you to evangelize about coffee to me some people
0: i can try. i was a barista for years and years and years i could talk about coffee forever
2: most cafes I go to, the hot chocolate and like the just a standard coffee are the same price.
1: Yeah. I guess one makes you sleepy and one theoretically wakes you up.
3: So, <laughs> theoretically.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 for a long time, I was one of these really judgmental people who, when someone came into work, And was all grouchy and said, I've not had my morning coffee, so I'm in a mood. Or you'd have someone say, Oh, he can't function in the morning without his first coffee. I'd think, Oh, fuck off. Come on. It's, you know, the the human body is a marvel uh, and it can manage (laughs) without a shot of caffeine in the morning. Um, And yet, when I look at myself, I think. Well, if I didn't brush my teeth in the morning, I'd probably feel like shit. If I didn't drink fruit juice in the morning, I would probably feel like crap. So we all develop our rituals, and mm-hmm. it, it taught me to not be so judgmental over the religious coffee drinkers or smokers or or people who t- bring a hip flask to work. <laughs>
2: uh, that last Maybe that one. last one. <laughs> I mean, you know. Speaking of hip flasks, though, ca- caffeine is extraordinarily addictive. And so I wouldn't be surprised that people who are like, I haven't had my morning caffeine are literally in an altered brain state. Because... You're
1: probably right. You are probably right. Uh, I mean, because I, I never got onto the energy drink train either. Yeah. I, remember, I remember trying Red Bull thinking, oh, this is horrible when energy drinks were first really entering mm. vogue and so i never jumped onto monster or this awful logan pool bullshit that you can <laughs> buy now the the idea when i hear about the detriment to your health i just think why would i want to start
0: <laughs> well yeah i mean the problem with caffeine especially over here is that it gets a lot of us young like i was you know i grew up in the south and like coke was a treat yep when i was a kid Yep. And so, like, I've been drinking soda since I was a child. Mm. And then in high school, like, we had soda vending machines in my school. Like, yep. you oh, could just wow. get soda. Yeah.
1: That, yep. that is actually quite amazing to me.
0: Yeah, it's... that's a very normal American thing, is to have freely available soda for the youth. Yep.
1: Well, and, of course, free refills in cafes and restaurants yep. uh, Yeah, in, yeah, in America. We don't get that at all in the UK. Right. Yeah. Or uh, well, in some pub chains, but... That, that they're usually pub chains where you're eating right,
2: uh, right but
1: yeah if you're if you're just going to a cafe yeah there's sure as hell aren't free refills
0: i mean if you go to like a starbucks or something you're not going to get free refills on your coffee no, no. but if you like at, at most of the coffee shops that i've worked at if you just got like a drip coffee we'd give you at least one refill for free mm-hmm. yep. and if you go to like a waffle house or something you can sit there and drink coffee Bottomless for 12 coffee. hours
2: they'll just put a carafe yeah of coffee <laughs> on your table and you just pour from it
0: yeah exactly um that is part of why i went to a keurig is because i felt like if if i brewed a pot of coffee i had to drink it
2: yeah and now
0: it's like i make one cup and that's not every day like i'm not an everyday coffee person but i I am an everyday caffeine person and i definitely not not so much anymore but i used to be so like in need of it that i would get a headache if i didn't Hmm. have caffeine for a few hours um because you can get a caffeine withdrawal headache and also like yeah, it's just really normalized every year in a way that it's, it's probably not as much there because if I have a black tea versus a coffee, the tea has far less caffeine in the, yeah. for the most part.
2: You know, I used to work in a lab and, the, you know, it's scientifically proven that the science community is literally 90% caffeine by volume. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we had we had two of those like cafeteria style coffee makers, like the big metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um like carafts that are like the ones that make like two gallons or whatever yeah yeah and we had two of those uh one with like a dark roast and one with like a light roast uh that would be set up first thing in the morning and then refilled multiple times throughout the day and I mean this was for the entire floor where there were maybe like 20 to 30 people working right but we downed coffee like nobody's business and then if we didn't want regular drip coffee there was a starbucks down in the cafeteria (laughs) and we would just go down and get like mochas and stuff i love
0: being like i need a break from this drip coffee so i can go get a mocha yeah
2: and then uh uh, before i left we had actually uh got a nespresso machine and uh one of the other labs had a full-on espresso like setup, mm-hmm. and people would wander over to the other lab to go get espresso. And we were like, "Why are we doing that? We could just get like a Nespresso and have mm-hmm. espresso, you know, in little pods or whatever." Um, and so, like, we made a purchase for the for the lab floor of a Nespresso machine. And I drank so much coffee back then, (laughs) like so much coffee. It was ridiculous. Like all day I'd be drinking coffee. And then I uh, developed severe heartburn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now I don't drink coffee at all. And I kind of miss it. Not in like a, I need the caffeine. Like I drink tea and soda instead, but... Mm. I miss the flavor of coffee. Yeah, like, I like how coffee tastes. Like I, I like, like how coffee. it tastes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, my um, my other thing growing up in the South, especially, which you could probably understand, is that we always had a pitcher of sweet tea in the fridge. Oh, yeah. And sweet tea is both sweetened and has caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I mean, that that was kind of our water on some level when I was a kid. Like, we didn't drink as much water as we should and i was never told to drink that much water until i went to like health class yes and they were like hey you should drink more water and i was like what water who who
2: drinks water It has no flavor let me tell Um. you the first time i went up north (laughs) and i ordered a tea with dinner oh no was it a hot tea yeah they get they brought me just like a hot tea and i was like i'm glad i like hot tea but what is this
1: (laughs) yeah for me that is obviously the normal tea i used to know someone who would have 15 sugars in their tea
2: Oh my goodness, that's um, a lot of sugar. Geez.
1: Well, well, sixteen's too sweet. But I think, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, all this talk of caffeine, it maybe, uh, uh, maybe one of the causes of the amount of police-led violence in the country, the, the shootings. I mean, putting aside the the racism, the talk. Top, the top, oh, well, the, <laughs> the, the, we're just going to put aside
0: the racism. Yeah, the, the to- white the- supremacy. Yeah, the white
1: supremacy, the toxic fraternity, <laughs> the, the, tr- the tribalism. If okay, we so put- putting
0: aside all the systemic problems. If
1: we put all okay. that- you know, these, uh, these people out doing their duty on these 12 hour shifts are probably caffeinated up to the gills because they're told you need the reaction speed, but they're probably buzzing and just waiting well, to.
0: I'm highly caffeinated, and I don't attack random people. So well,
1: that's because you don't have the uh, the ability. Uh, that's not <laughs> not a critique. That's not a critique. I've got hands. Uh, um, yeah. I can
0: attack random people on the street if I wanted to.
1: Well, uh, you're not on PCP, Yeah, but you're not no, authorized.
2: Dixie. You're also not authorized <laughs> by the state to do that. True. No,
1: no. It's it's one thing to have a very big car and a gun at your, at your side at all times, but you know we're in the first. 11 minutes of this episode <laughs> uh now that we've put uh, police brutality and caffeine to rights,
2: <laughs> i mean that's, <laughs> that's i mean that's that's, that's horror m- in an expected
0: place. yeah that, that's, that's, is, i was yes, gonna yes, say that's a very expected place to find horror um i do so let's 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 try to transition onto our topic a little bit here then um so we're talking today about horror in unexpected places Um, Mm. because we do have quite a lot of games, and we've we've also clearly played a lot of games that we don't even make. There's so many games out there. And I think it's really interesting when you can take a game that is not specifically, explicitly written or meant for horror and introduce that element into the game, Mm -hmm. or just shift the tone just enough to make it a horror game. Um, You can see this a little bit with us going from, like, Mainline Trinity to Assassins, for instance. Um, you can see it with Scion to Mythos, and but that's us actually like explicitly making it into a more horrific game. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Matthew, you've run some stuff for Redmond Role Playing that was They Came From based, but that ended up being horror, correct?
1: That is true. I have writ, read, and ran a They Came From game that was horror based. But but before before I talk about that, Dixie, I'm going to interrupt. Oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, de- I'm voluntarily derailing the train. I so rab-
0: You didn't actually interrupt. You were just talking.
1: Well, all right. I'm not interrupting. <laughs> I, I'm taking us off course. Because speaking of Red Moon role-playing, by God. By God. Uh, Eddie, our good friend Eddie, uh, may he rest, is currently or has just finished running a Realms of Pugmire actual play for them, which is horror-based. <laughs> and we've got the new edition of Pugmire on Kickstarter right now, haven't we? We
0: do. Very exciting. Um, it's fully funded, so at this point you can just come grab the book.
1: Mm, but, but one of the reasons I wanted to raise it is because Eddie really delivered a masterclass in how to make a, a horror Pugmire game.
0: Yeah, uh, I was listening to it last night. It's it's, it's actually really, really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it, I, I, it's something I don't think a lot of people consider. It was explored to to a very good degree in Squeaks in the Deep. There's a mm. lot of scary mm-hmm. stuff in in that game, but well, obviously we're very excited by the fact that we have a second edition of Pugmire currently on Kickstarter. But seeing it shown off in ways that are, I guess, not traditional or not expected is that's one of my. I don't know if I'd call it a guilty pleasure. It's one of my favorite things in role playing mm-hmm. when we get to explore games from the view of a different genre or different tone and yeah just kudos to eddie and the the team of players on that one for doing such a wonderful job uh you you the listener can definitely run pugmire with as fantastical hopeful exploratory wondrous or horrific tone as you so Mm -hmm. choose all the tools are there for you
0: Yeah, I've run some very silly one shots of Pugmire, but currently I'm gearing up for a campaign with what used to be my D&D group and is now my Pugmire group. Um, So I'm I'm gearing up to run an ongoing campaign for them. And while they're not like horror aficionados in the way that like you or I are, Hmm. uh, they definitely, you know, it's going to be serious in tone, at at least. Probably the players won't be, but I'm, I'm running the game as serious in tone because I take the setting seriously. Um, and there, there will be some like light horror elements. We talked about it being like fantasy horror, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so probably like, you know, PG 13 at best, but there, there, there will be, you know, the occasional blood or gross monster or something, Mm -hmm. uh, to make it a little creepy. And they specifically do want to do some like dungeon crawling in the underneath. So I can bring in some of the weird underneath monsters that are in the book.
1: Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, sorry. On on to uh, what we were talking about. It was one of the I think it's the first actual play around for Red Moon role playing, and I know I've spoken about it a fair amount. But was it
0: really the first one? Yeah
1: for, yeah. for
0: some reason, I thought you had run like cult or vampire or something before you ran. They came from.
1: No, uh, beneath the sea was definitely the first. It, oh. uh, they I think they wanted me to run cult initially, and I may have said I'll run cult for you if <laughs> we can run. <laughs> they came from beneath the sea first, and they said to me, "Well, we're uh, horror." horror gaming podcast predominantly and I said well that's not a problem we'll just run a horror game if they came from beneath the sea
0: so what what things did you find you should like tweak about it to make it more of a horror game
1: well so I wanted to run it in a I guess what we would call lovecraftian sense but it would be fairer to if if you if you are familiar with I guess the Lovecraft uh, what was it, Canon? Uh, it's more of an August de Leth take uh, in the sense that each character in Beneath the Sea when I ran it for Role Roleplaying was the unknowing avatar of one of the great old ones.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And instead of having quips, well, I think they had two regular quips each, and they also had a string of consonants that was basically a uh, cthuloid style chant. Mm -hmm. The cinematics were uh, the great old ones from sort of up above or from beyond interfering with the fabric of reality to preserve their avatars. So, you know, they were still cinematics in, in form. It was just the cheap set cinematic you could now run through the wall because the wall was now (laughs) non-Euclidean geometry. You know, you could just go, pop, straight through it. You could now insert a missing reel, not because it's a missing Mm. reel, but because essentially Hastur is winding time forward or what have you. And what we did differently, as well as the setting being the sort of deep south, Horror, uh, swampy folk and the like. It was um, that each of the characters was growing increasingly aware of their Truman Show esque reality. Ah. Uh, so they were, they didn't, they couldn't understand how they were here, then they were there, or how this uh, completely unrealistic interference managed to save them or hurt someone else. I think we. The first time one of the characters was aware of it, we used Kill the Extra, which is one of the mm-hmm. cinematics. And they had, as role players often do, sort of befriended the local paper boy, Little Jimmy, or whatever his name was, <laughs> who was always cycling by, giving them the update on what was going on in town. And when one of the cultists decided to take a shot at one of the characters, they the, the bullets just went zing and disappeared off around a corner and hit... Uh, little Jimmy instead oh no because the great old one wasn't prepared for their avatar to be sacrificed but they but in order to maintain some kind of cosmological balance someone had to die <laughs> and it was yeah little Jimmy who got a lovely death speech but the point was <laughs> that in any of the they came From's, you can range the tone we mm-hmm. we aim for comedy as I guess the default. And very light-hearted at that. But even when we did our Manos game with yourself, Dixie, and Rich, yeah. there were, I guess, disturbing elements because...
0: Oh, yeah, there were definitely disturbing
1: elements. <laughs> yeah, because Manos, even though it's an awful film, still right. is a disturbing concept. It's family gets lost, finds cult. With man with you know dozens of brides and uh, mm-hmm. he's basically going to kidnap this man's wife and infant daughter to become his new bride that's Terrible. weird yeah,
0: yeah would they? with a better you know script cast director etc that Everything. could actually be a really scary movie
1: yeah i mean it, but you know, the, like, Hill, the, like Eyes style
0: yeah the like concept is terrifying it's very you know yeah, that, and there's, there's a lot of horror movies that are based on a similar premise.
1: Yeah, yeah, who do it a lot better. Yes. Uh, but yes, I think turning they came from into a horror game, is, uh, a pure horror game, especially where you start playing around with the mechanics to... Uh, so, for instance, when they were making their Lovecraftian-esque chants with their quips, they would do them, and then the characters would think, what the hell just escaped my mouth? You know, why... What what was that? And it was, of course, their god essentially speaking through them as a vessel. And you can easily twist those mechanics to suddenly make them not funny. <laughs> now they are deeply disturbing. And yeah, uh, I I, w- I would be very happy to explore something like that again, where they came from.
0: Is there a specific like game or tone
1: or theme you'd be interested in doing with that? Well... I think I'll have to wait and see. I may be working on something in the background they came from related that could explore that again. Uh, I would very much like to delve back into that Lovecraftian aspect, but I'm also aware we did Mask of the Mythos not that long ago, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't want to... I guess, oversaturate our customers. Uh, if, if it could be said that doing two books <laughs> <we're> <laughs> inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft are oversaturation. Um,
0: I mean, how many has Chaosium done?
1: <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, they beat
2: their brand on that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that. That is true. That is true. If it's good enough for them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I have plans and thoughts, and we'll have to see what comes to fruition.
0: That's exciting. I feel like even in some of the like you know more recent stuff that we talked about, like they came from the danger zone. You, you could still dial that up or down because it yeah. could definitely be more like a you know Predator Terminator type movie.
1: Well, yeah, Predator and Terminator are to a degree both slasher movies in yeah. interesting locations. Alien, of course, is oh, definitely yeah. a slasher movie uh, in set in a very interesting location. And Jason X didn't quite pull the same thing off. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I think you can very easily turn action movies into into horror movies. You can turn uh, spy movies, indeed, with they came from classified, uh, into grittier espionage thrillers. Especially oh, yeah. if you look at it from a sort of Cold War double agents, who's betraying who. It may not be horrific and a body horror and lots of you know blood and guts all over the place, but it can be a paranoia, a suspense based horror game. Mm-hmm. Um. especially when you start taking into account you know are my family at risk because i trusted this person to look after them uh you can go the sort of taken route of well this is just going to lead to liam neeson jumping over lots of fences until we save <laughs> the day uh so it's just action or yeah you can put some real threat and stakes into it and make uh make the characters or make the players start caring about uh, the actions their characters are taking.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so, D, yes, when it comes to things like Trinity, uh, barring Assassins, because we know that that's mm. actually kind of, you know, horror-adjacent yeah. already, what other games do you think lend themselves to this kind of dialing up of a scary setting?
2: Honestly, all of the... Eras have elements mm-hmm. that could do that in, right? So in and there are literal aliens. Right. Um, and some of them are antagonistic and you know and some the, of them could be denomorphs, we don't know. Right. Like there could be unknown races of species of aliens that are out in the universe that we haven't explored yet that are horrific. Right, so you could definitely do like a sci-fi unknown uh, entity kind of thing with Aeon. Um, Also, just like isolation in space Mm -hmm. as like a horror element is is something that could absolutely happen. I mean, I've I've heard no one can hear you scream up there. Yeah, you know, you could do a a sunshine kind of thing. Uh, And you know there's a lot of ways and and you know just oh we're doing space travel and oh your spaceship breaks down now what are you going to do um survivalist kind of horror too where your spaceship breaks down and you've got x amount of time before your life support runs out um something along those lines uh so and definitely i can see a lot of like sci-fi horror elements that you could throw in there mm-hmm. um aberrant you could do like a a dark superheroes against like a really dark horror kind of nova like you know create the the nastiest scariest most deranged nova you could think of and turn it into like a murder mystery kind of thing or uh-huh. a hunt for the serial killer uh kind of thing.
0: Yeah, well, like, for, for, for Aberrant specifically, I mean, if you look at the superhero genre, mm-hmm. it spans the gamut from, yep. you know, happy Superman story where he saves little Timmy from a well to the boys. Yep. And so, like, or or to Invincible, you know? Yep. So you You can make a horror superhero game yeah, really abso- easily.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> in the Trinity core, I mean, clearly it is just our... Our world, a little, a little different.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you're playing talents. You could do any kind of horror story using uh, that setting. Um, you could also do. Uh, you could also tap into strange places some, and mm-hmm. have horror come from an alternate dimension, like a Stranger Things situation. Yeah. Uh, you could have that or you could have some, like, weird doppelganger bullshit going on um, That that is horrific in nature. Adventure also has a lot of strange places in it and you could have some kind of horror-based stuff in Adventure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, adventure is a little more lighthearted and pulpy to begin with. Um, but you can definitely do some horror elements in there. Um, i I think. I- what like I, say, say? I
0: mean, I mean, Temple of Doom is the first mm-hmm. scary thing I ever saw that I had to, like, leave the room. I was yep. too young to watch it, and my parents were, like, watching Indiana Jones movies because they're fun, you know? Yeah. And I, like, happened to be in there, and I was like, nope, 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 leaving. <laughs> leaving now, this is gross.
2: Yeah, gross and scary. I was thinking that it, it lends itself to body horror. Yeah, totally. Um, as a type of horror trope, like, you know, trope that – uh you could have things like that. You could have strange places that are, you know, weird insects that lay eggs inside of people. That, Don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, you know, you could you could do all sorts of things with kind of that body horror element in mm-hmm. strange places. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can also have just antagonists who are doing horrific things.
0: I mean, yeah, that's that, that's most settings, though. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think more of, like, actually leaning into, like, the horror genre. Right. More than just, you know, bad guy bad does guy. bad shit.
2: Right. Um, yeah, with the, like, propensity of the kind of um energized items, you could have some weird, like, uh, puzzle cube that leads you to a weird dimension, a hellscape, uh, where they have such sites to show you. I was going to say, are you, are, you, <laughs> are you hell raising right now? Yeah. I mean, that could happen if you wanted to. Um, there's there's all sorts of weird and kind of horrific things that you could tap into um, in using strange places specifically because they're so wide and varied.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um for anima i mean
0: anima's got some built-in horror
2: <laughs> anima does have some built-in horror um you know you could have somebody lose control of their glass or have something take over them through their glass.
0: Yeah. A lot of, like, paranoia vibes for that one, too. 1984-type yeah. shit. Because, like, everybody's, you know, monitored on some level. Right. Um, you could definitely do some very strange things with that. A lot of them will take the buy-in of the players, obviously. Especially if you're going to be, like, taking yeah. over someone's glass. Sure. Um, But, but like... But it could
2: happen to an ally. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, And, like there yeah there's there's so much in that setting that could be horrific both yep. in and out of terra surge
2: yep absolutely so um so that already kind of lends itself well to it, it, yeah that paranoia vibe the 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 being watched the not knowing what's going on um also like a ghost in the machine not in like the anime but like you're seeing things That aren't there, you know, your your glass is malfunctioning, you're getting weird messages, you're seeing ghosts, Mm -hmm. Um, all of that kind of stuff could happen in anima. Yeah. Uh,
0: I would take a lot of inspiration from uh, Cyberpunk 2077 if I were to run Anima More Horror. Yeah. Because they're like, yes, it's an action game, but there are many things going on within the game that are kind of like that. Like you get a weird message on your little heads up display and you're like, what the hell is happening, you know?
2: Right. Exactly. Um, For Aether, I think Aether already kind of has some horror elements built into it. In the same way that you say, kind of anima does, in that mm-hmm. you know the Magogs are already kind of horrific. Yeah. You know, um, they're kind of based on some of our more classic horror uh, genre, like genre characters, like Dracula. Yeah, it's is kind a, like character. a penny dreadful
0: horror thing happening. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, you could absolutely run a penny dreadful style game using Aether. So. It, it lends itself well in setting uh, to just tapping into the more horror elements of the setting. Uh, I don't know about Aegis. Um, not out yet. We don't even have a Kickstarter for it yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for the that time period, um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm that are happening at that time period and a lot of, like, myth and legend. And you could definitely tap into... You could tap into body horror. Mm-hmm. Any of these you could tap into body horror. I love body horror. <laughs> uh- <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> I, I think
1: the that, that brings up an interesting quandary. It's not insurmountable by any means, but the but Aegis and, to an extent, but certainly my feeling is one of the hardest genres to horrify. Yeah, is fantasy mm-hmm. uh, and historical fantasy uh, in particular, uh, because quite often when using that kind of setting or era, ca- your characters are by definition larger than life. Uh, mm-hmm. You are heroes or heroic types, you stand out among the masses, and... That sometimes makes the suspension of disbelief a little harder for players mm-hmm. to, yeah. you know, well, you know, there is no no uh, monster I cannot overcome. Uh, yeah, everything at that point is a challenge rather than something to be avoided. Now, there are exceptions. We mentioned Eddie's excellent game of Realms of Pugmire. And, of course, plenty of people play games like Ravenloft. Uh, and Scarred Lands has a lot of horror.
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot well. of horror in Scarred Lands. Um,
1: Though, that said, would I personally consider Scardlands or indeed Ravenloft a scary game? S- certainly not in the case of Ravenloft. Yeah. I, th- I think that, and this isn't me dismissing Ravenloft, at all. I know it's immensely popular. Uh, it's that when I look at it, I see Strahd again as a monster to be overcome. Uh, the The vampires as monsters with hit points and special abilities, I don't feel uh a sense of trepidation or suspense when I play a game like that, and I think it's because my character is so well equipped to handle it maybe right, right. Uh, and uh, I think Scarred lands does it very well. Because there is the feeling like you are in a post-apocalyptic setting. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of uncontrollable chaos that's uh, and and your world as the name of the game implies has been scarred by wars between gods and titans things are unsettling unusual there's a whole and, sea of blood yeah yeah and you can really ramp that up i think and i'm sure you can do the exact same thing with Ravenloft. it would be very interesting to see how once i can delve a bit more into aegis uh, i i most of my games turn horrific at some point, sure. by design or not. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure I will give uh, Ages a go, but how to turn it horrific will be an interesting question. I'm sure it's possible. Yeah, it's just not something I've given much thought to.
2: Yeah, you bring up a good point because a lot of horror comes from lot not lack of agency but the perceived lack of agency yes mm-hmm. where you're you're not sure you can overcome the problem
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know vampires are scary antagonists in horror because they are uh, powerful and they can do things that you can't do so you know if you're a a mortal and you're going up against a, a vampire you know They have a suite of abilities Mm -hmm. that you just don't have access to, and that can be horrific. Um, But yeah, in the fantasy-style games, you never feel like, uh, you know, my character's going to succumb to something because I'm incapable of dealing with it, or that's so scary, we're going to have to run away from it, Mm. Um, unless... Mm -hmm. Unless you're, you know, the person running the game is literally amping up antagonists to the point where they're undefeatable, you are always expected to be able to defeat whatever you come across. Like you say, it's a challenge. It's not something to be avoided. And I think that that perceived lack of agency that we get in horror, the spookiness of not knowing what's around the corner... And can it hurt me? Because, like, you could run ghost stories mm-hmm. in fantasy games, but they lack a certain spookiness that comes from, is the unknown something that can hurt me?
0: Right. That's, that's actually part of why I think Pugmire lends itself sometimes to horror, is because mm-hmm. you have this, you know, the unseen and right. also a lot of the world is unknown. Right. And so, like, you go into a cave, and you're like, "What's this? what's in here? Maybe, maybe some treasure." And instead, it's Eddie scaring me with a centipede made of plastic baby heads, which freaked me out for real. Yeah. Like, I, I, <laughs> I didn't like imagining that.
1: No, currently you know? I'm imagining him actually jangling that in front of your face at the <laughs> I, table. I,
0: I've got a really vivid imagination, so <laughs> I was just like, "Ah, uh, don't like it." don't like it um which all which obviously means i'm going to throw that at my players in my game of course because <laughs> uh, it is a statted up monster and squeaks in the deep um but yeah like that's that's actually really interesting is because I feel like in a lot of fantasy games, like, like, like D&D for instance, a lot of players just instinctively bring their meta knowledge of like, mm-hmm. we're going to overcome challenges and I know what this thing does and it has yes. stats and it has a challenge rating and yeah. whatever.
1: I mean, the troll is a very good example of a yeah. antagonist. Everyone at this point knows you need fire or acid. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point fighting the damn thing. Mm-hmm and that's not to say that, you know, there are some very good role players out there or even average role players who will still give it a good go for the sake of story, right. um, but there's a difference between sort of playing along with the story and actually feeling worried for your character or scared in the plot. Uh, and I suppose horror is horror is, of course, a broad church. Horror can be something as simple as, I am playing a vampire, I'm drinking blood, therefore it's horror mm-hmm. uh, or it can be going all the way to masks of the mythos style where mm. you know you are impossibly small uh pe- beings uh being overlooked by impossibly epic cosmological horror
3: right
1: um what difference can you make and by gum you'll give it a try um so you know there's there's a massive range there but i found we've we of course work on a lot of world of darkness and chronicles of darkness games and uh, they are horror uh, by design but i at least to my tastes i find the what i would consider more and i need to choose my words carefully here uh, more flexible horror of games like they came from Trinity, Scion, Pugmire as well, more horrifying than the expected horror of a game of Vampire the Masquerade or Requiem, as mm-hmm. an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, the And I can kind of determine that by the exact same example of in D&D you see a monster you want to overcome it. The sheer number of people i've seen play vampire uh who they approach the prince they know the prince is a damn powerful vampire and they still mouth off to him
3: Mm -hmm.
1: there there isn't a certainly again some role players won't do it they will play the game they will act intimidated and that's fine but I would say there's a good half <laughs> right. who who treat it like D&D. Yeah,
0: they walk up to like an antediluvian and they're like, fuck you. It's yeah. Like, uh, you wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah. And I, and I almost feel like because there's a buy-in that the storyteller storytelling games are stories and char- and player characters often have a certain degree of plot immunity because of the amount of investment that goes into character creation uh, and and the story you're all weaving together, that storytellers in turn give players a hell of a lot of rope to do that kind of thing. And it really, for me, again, purely speaking from my tastes, can kill that idea of horror uh, Mm -hmm. in those games. It's, it's, uh, and I say this as a big fan of those games, but I look at games like Wraith the Oblivion, I think, to me, that still works incredibly well as a horror game. Mm-hmm. I look at Promethean the Created, I look at Changing the Lost, I think those work incredibly well as horror games. And the way my tastes have evolved, I sometimes struggle these days to think of Vampire as horrific, or to even think of Werewolf as being Quite as horrific as maybe i used to even with
0: all the body horror that we put into the uh forsaken (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, Yeah.
1: maybe it's uh maybe i've sort of grown inured to the it's (laughs) it's, i don't know didn't
0: didn't you write a bunch of these scarier things in there
1: yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, again i'm not saying it isn't horror but i think i enjoy horror now in unexpected places Mm -hmm. more than in the predictable games uh with a build as being horror
0: so uh, what what's a time where and this is for, for either of you where you've been running something and have found horror inadvertently or your players have kind of bought into something that was scary that you maybe weren't planning to be scary but then turned into that
1: hmm. for me scion throws Mm -hmm. out quite often i'm not just using that as an example because we haven't spoken about it much but (laughs) i will but no in seriousness uh, i ran a fair amount of scion second edition when it came out and i still revisit it i've got a dedicated scion group uh who i'm very fortunate to get to play with on occasion very Uh, cool but they all moved around the world just to escape me and so, getting time zones right is a challenge. But um, <laughs> it was a game set in Tokyo. It was a noir esque game. You had um, a, a mysterious murder. You had Crooked Cops. You had, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, there was horror inbuilt in the plot. There was a sort of mystery, suspense, but that wasn't really delivering what did in an unexpected way was their relationship with their divine parents.
3: Mm. Because
1: we, and you see it an awful lot with things like HBO drama or prestige dramas, the, I guess, troubled relationships with your ancestors, uh, abusive fathers, um, neglectful mothers, and uh, um, what have you. And doing uh, bringing that to the fore in Scion. Having a god basically being an abuser, being uh, either being unduly proud and therefore pushing you into increasing danger or being neglectful to the point of pushing you into increasing danger or anything in that range can hit players hard and in a horrific way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can make them start thinking about, well, who am I? What is my character exactly? What is my character's relationship, not only to the god, but the pantheon that is aware of my existence and never intervened to stop this awful life I've been living? Right. Uh, And it starts bringing that personal horror aspect that exists in games like Changing the Lost very well uh, into, into Scion because you're thinking, shit, these these awful events that I went through in my childhood, my adolescence, that I just thought were bad luck, were tests that my godly parent was setting me and making me endure to make me mm-hmm. the ideal daughter. And that's, that's personal horror to me. And I think it works mm-hmm. incredibly well in in scion and it is also a huge motivator for a scion to advance up those tiers and become a demigod and become a god and topple the bastard who made you like this you then have that old god of war i guess uh the 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 problem of is this a self-fulfilling prophecy uh was was i being groomed to do this exact thing and now am I going to basically become the inheritor of my parent in every respect, or can I lose the bits that were awful?
0: Yeah, like, are you going to break the cycle?
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I think Scion it always surprises me like that. The, the sort of depths you can plumb uh, when it comes to what in Britain is often called kitchen sink drama. Uh, the, it's basically family feuds, family affairs, and sometimes they're the ones that resound most strongly with players, I think.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, have you ever either as a player or as a GM in a game D run across something like that? Because I've I definitely as a player run across times where I was like, oh, that was spooky and I didn't realize it was gonna be spooky.
2: Yeah, I, I can't think of times where as a like game runner, mm-hmm. um, I've had that situation, but I've definitely like of course I'm f- failing to recall anything now that you've asked me, uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but I know I've had moments where I, you know, I've been playing a game and I'm like, oh, that's a little spooky, uh, and I wasn't expecting it. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, because horror, horror is a continuum, right? right? Much, much like most genres are, from your, you know, spooky goosebumps esque haunted housey kind of stuff. Right. Um, all the way obviously down to your gore fests yeah. um, and and everything in between
2: yeah i think like matthew i i could see a lot more um personal horror like mm-hmm. that kind of personal struggle in in games showing up unexpectedly than like a gore thing
0: yeah yeah i think it's definitely more uh common to get emotionally devastated by something that your character has had happened or has done than it is to get you know scary spooky horrified
3: Mm -hmm.
1: i uh was a player in a game of aeon for it wasn't a long campaign but it was a game where we were serving a hyper corporation of a sort or uh, a mega corp and we as part of multiple teams uh of of sires and the like had to uh, break into the sort of event horizon style abandoned space station everything went horribly wrong there and again there was an a, a certain amount of horror that was predictable. It was inbuilt, and that's fine yeah the It was when we were doing a hasty evacuation and we had to get the hell out of this uh this spaceship before everything went terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, things were already going terribly wrong. We had recovered what we needed to. We got to our escape craft. We were the only squad that got out. We immediately report into the hypercourt and say, you know, we've got two other teams that are still on there. We were still on, in contact with them. One of them's trapped. One of them's making their way towards the exits. What do we do? At which point the employer basically says, no, nope, you've done your job. Report in. Said, well, yeah, but what about our teammates?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's mm-hmm. uh, the the mission was to recover this data pack. It wasn't For all twelve of you to return, right? But but we may have time to do it. We can't have you risking the data that you've just recovered in order to do that. And so we just had to, or we certainly felt that we had to, as our characters Mm -hmm. make the choice of: do we do the moral thing, go back for our teammates? Do we toe the line? And ultimately, because we knew what the danger was that we were facing in there, again, again sort of psychic uh, infestation, alien threat sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In the end, we thought, no, we're going to do be good company, uh, boys and girls, and uh, <laughs> and head home. And yeah. it's, it was unexpected horror because it was, I suppose, what you might consider ethical horror. It was... Right. Us making a decision that we knew would result in the deaths of NPCs, some of whom we'd come to know across multiple missions, mm-hmm. uh, or were already on our character sheets as connections, and and that always adds a certain, I guess, concreteness to uh, to, to a character death if you've got if you've written them down at some point. Uh, right. And so it doesn't matter what game you're playing, if you've actually got this NPC noted on your sheet, when they are under threat, you you experience a certain amount of dread. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we were looking at our sheets and, yeah, some of us had that mercenary thought of, well, crap, I'm going to have to come up with a new contact now. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> but,
1: but others were thinking, oh, I really liked interacting with that guy. Uh, I will have to do my best to make sure his family is okay out of the back of this. Uh, so, you know, we were already planning that person's estate being divided up before they had even expired, which hammered home, yeah, that ethical horror, I guess, capitalistic horror in a sense of, you know, we, we didn't expect the full team to return.
0: Right. Why? And that's the
1: sort of end of transmission. Uh, oh, Okay. All right then.
0: <laughs> well. Yeah, you you uh that, that that kind of thing happens a lot in the like alien prequels mm-hmm. um that have come out over the past few years. And in and, and just that like, oh, okay, you didn't actually think this was gonna go well. I understand now. Uh and yeah, I've 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 always enjoyed that kind of horror of like, you know, the system doesn't actually care about you. Mm. Yep. They care about what you can do for them and that's it. Because uh, that, that that is a scary thought. It's also a thought that most of us deal with in a capitalist society. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but when it when when you play it to its extreme, of like, oh, you know, I sent ten people on this task. As long as one of you comes back, I don't care. Then it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's terrifying. Well,
1: yeah. What was particularly good in this game of Aeon was what the story go- guides told us afterwards. We had our sort of epilogue, our debrief mm-hmm. afterwards out of character. And one of the players said to the story guide, so what happened to the other NPCs? Or what happened to the other characters who were on board the station? And the story guide, closing up her book, said, you don't know, and you'll probably never know.
3: Ah!
1: And that's what, for me, marks role-playing games in, in an immersive sense as different from movies and TV shows. Because movies and TV shows are determined to show you every single character's death, even if there isn't a protagonist around. And you know Hmm. damn sure that if a death isn't shown, that character will be coming back.
0: Yeah, or at least they they could be.
1: Yeah, it's it's unlikely that if someone falls off a building and you don't see them land, (laughs) that, (laughs) that they are dead. But in this case yeah, uh, for all intents and purposes, those characters should be written off as dead. And that gave a, a horrifying finality to what had happened, that not only did these people not survive, but we wouldn't be able to tell their families what happened to them. We wouldn't be able to memorialize their final actions. Literally, transmissions were cut off. We have no idea, but it probably wasn't good. And yeah, right. I, I love I love horror like that. And again, unexpected. Uh, wow. it, I think you can, and the, these aren't specific to Aeon or Scion or any of the other games we've mentioned.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You could you put do a that exactly. It's just sometimes the game really lends itself in the case of aeon there's a certain amount of utopia or utopic vision from one mm. aspect but of course it has a CD underbelly uh, that's horribly corrupt
0: well yeah also when it, when it comes to aeon specifically like the universe has been pretty explored at this point so mm. you could definitely set something on like an outpost that has been forgotten for instance um there's all kinds of things you could do with that kind of story as well. Like there 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 can be a, a planet that got cut off from us forever ago. Yeah. To, to to the point where we have assumed that nobody's there anymore. And then you could have a terrifying, you know, ghost planet, haunted planet kind of situation. Um there's there, there there's so many horror movies that are set in space or on other, on other planets or in themes that would work in space. And so just taking some of those themes and transporting them onto Aeon would be pretty easy in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree,
0: because yeah, like I, I, I like running interesting and different horror games. I mean, obviously there are so many games that are geared for horror. Like I, I enjoy the Alien RPG, um, but that that really is meant to do one thing, and that's play the, the Alien movie, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, I, I was running that recently, and in yeah. fact, I still am for one of my Patreon groups. We're on our third session of it because I'm hopeless at pacing. Uh, and, uh, and but the reason it's lasted three sessions is because immediately uh, well I, I say immediately within the first hour I was aware that I would not be getting the reactions out of the players that I enjoyed and I didn't think they would enjoy it so much if they considered their characters uh, I guess innately disposable mm-hmm. uh, that if we were serving the needs of an alien plot that works for me at a convention where you don't know the players. But if you have been playing with these people for some time and you know their habits, you know the things they enjoy, then you kind of owe it to them to give them a bit of room to breathe and make decisions that actually have an impact on the plot. Right. Uh, and uh, again, not a criticism of the Alien RPG. Love it. Production value is fantastic. Uh, and it's a really interesting stress mechanic. Very simple. But... Uh, but at the same time, I think as soon as you advertise a game as an alien game, there's going to be an expectation as to what that game includes. So I chose to not put Xenomorphs in it. The, the threat was something different. Mm. Uh, I Yeah, it lasted longer than the three to four hour first session so that characters could meet NPCs and grow attached to them so that when... Bad things start happening. You actually start caring,
3: mm-hmm. um, yeah.
1: Because yeah, I, I don't see the need to limit yourself. Uh, and I'm sure the vast majority of people that play Alien don't. Uh, but I do think there's something limiting by the premise if that's all you're following.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, last, well, last time that uh, my my group played Alien, um, I wasn't running it. My boyfriend was, but I, uh, I also. Because I knew these players, once again, and I knew th- that these are people who actually enjoy keeping secrets from each mm-hmm. other out of character, which is not my favorite thing to do, but they think it's fun if you get, like, betrayed randomly. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't. Please submit it to me. <laughs> but because I know they, like, twists like that and they don't think it's mean or weird or anything, I went to you, uh, my wife my privately and I was like, can I be the android? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I'm like secret android.
2: Yeah. So I was
0: the scientist who was also the android. Um, which, you know, being the scientist, I was, like, I was like, oh yeah, she's like kind of cold in demeanor. She's very like rigid, this, that, and the other. Uh, because it made sense. But then secret android. So once you get revealed as the android, you get all kinds of extra shit. <laughs> and also you can turn on people if you want to, because they're disposable. You're just there for the mission. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that that's what made that one really fun compared to you know, r- running a one shot where you don't have that element going on. Um, but once again, you need buy in from the players for that, because there are a lot of people that do not like that feeling of betrayal in a game. Yeah. They don't like secrets. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. So you, d- you definitely need to gauge, gauge the uh, players. Because my 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 group, for instance, we have a player who is very sweet, but definitely is one of those people who like wants to know everything about everything that happens. And so I've already kind of warned him. I'm like, you're going to be frustrated because sometimes you're going to ask me a question and I'm going to say, you don't know. Right. And sometimes it's because I don't know because there's not actually an answer. Mm. And you're going to have to live with the fact that there's not actually <laughs> an answer to whatever you just asked. Um, because like he is the kind of person who during our session zero was like, well, where did the humans go? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, There's no answer to that. Yeah, wherever you would like them to have gone. Or, like, where does this, you know, magic-y thing come from? I don't know. It's far future tech. It can do all kinds of weird shit. Use your imagination.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, so that's going to be interesting um, when, when we start our campaign is because there are so many things in that setting that the actual canon answer is you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be... A little scary for for my one player.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh to just not not know things. Because uh in our last game, he he would get a little frustrated if like he had a question and the answer wasn't in the campaign module that our DM was using. Uh, Because our our DM wasn't a super, super like improv person. So if it wasn't in the book, he was like, "I, I I don't I don't have an answer for you, usually. And uh yeah, so that'll that'll be interesting and we'll see how everybody handles this because I'm just gonna be like, I don't know, it just works. And uh, they're going to have to live with that because I'm very much more of a fly by the seat of your pants uh, guide <laughs> than some other people are. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's magic. magic. Like you think it's magic. That's all that matters. Uh, that said, we're hitting about time. So, D Danielle, if people want to find you, talk to you about unexpected horror or other, you know, you know, random century things. I know that last week you said don't find you, which I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but where could they maybe catch a glimpse of you as you flee around the corner?
2: I am a cryptid. Um I hang out on the Discord some. Uh you can definitely ask me questions there and I may see them and answer. Um, you can also find me at DanielLozon.com. Uh and that has links to my Twitter and my Facebook. And Matthew?
1: Well, if they are looking for me for Unexpected Horror, they need not look, because I will find them. Oh. And that will be the Unexpected Horror. But uh, they can look for me on MatthewDawkins.com, they can go on Twitter at DawkinsMP, and of course they can go on the Path Discord, where I am there under Matthew Dawkins.
0: Yeah, we are all the Discord all the time. Uh, yeah. You can find me everywhere at sixty Saganide. I'm Vixie Cochran on the Discord. Um, we do like I like I said up top still have the realms of Pugmire Kickstarter going on. Uh, please go check it out. As with all of our Kickstarters, five dollars gets you a you know glimpse at the manuscript. Uh, we've got another couple weeks ish on it. I want to say yeah. Uh, so we're really like halfway through. So definitely go check that out. See what you think. I think Eddie did some really awesome work with second edition along with all the writers, obviously. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's it's OGL free, as we talked about before. It's using more of an Onyx Twenty system. Um, so definitely, like if you're interested, go back and listen to our, to our episode about that. Go check it out. It's really good. It's got cat and uh, mouse rules. Yes, cat and mouse rules uh, in the back, so you could actually make cat and mouse characters, even though those books that those books aren't going to be out for a hot minute. Uh, so yeah, there's so much cool stuff going on with it. Please go check it out. Uh, you can find us everywhere at com, And as always, many worlds...